Dig a Bit, a podcast for women who want to dig into the meat of God's Word for a bit. We are glad you have taken a few minutes out of your day to listen. Our host is Cindy Colley from thecolleyhouse.org. Now grab your Bible and let's dig in. Hi there. I hope that you've enjoyed month 11 so far. We are on the very last Dig a Bit of month 11. And we're going to take that from Romans chapter 8. I'm just going to say probably without hesitation that Romans chapter 8 is in the top three of my very favorite texts in the New Testament. Now, maybe I shouldn't have favorite texts, but by that I don't mean that some of the Bible is better than other parts of the Bible. But I just mean that I find more comfort in Romans 8 than almost any other place in the New Testament. We look at Romans chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 31, which, which says, What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? He who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things. I love that because it says there that since God's already given us the biggest gift imaginable, the unspeakable gift, then how can we question the fact that he will give us everything else that we need? That's kind of like when we come to Christ. If we give him all of us, all of our hearts, all of our souls, all of our strength, all of our might, if we give God the kind of love that he demands of us, then all the choices are already made. All the little things are obviously going to belong to God. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God who justifies. That is, who can, anybody, who can try to condemn us if we are in Christ with any success? Because God, the one who can freely give us all things, is the one who is justifying us or coming to our defense. Who is he that condemns? It is Jesus Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Somebody's trying to condemn you? You are serving the only one who can condemn others, and that is Jesus Christ. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And here is our list. I believe it was number eight in your book. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then we have these questions. Can any of these things separate us from the love of Christ? And then beginning in verse 38, we have a similar list of things that he declares cannot come in between us or separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. So who can separate us from the love of Christ? First of all, shall tribulation. That word there in the Greek means affliction or anguish. Can any affliction that we undergo or any anguish separate us from his love? No, in fact, it puts us in the same kind of love that he had for us. Did Jesus endure tribulation? In John 16, if you'll turn there with me, we're going to look at some of these instances in the life of Jesus in which he did suffer the things that he says, all these things are common to me and cannot separate you from my love. And then my love can't be separated from the love of God. So John 16, and I just picked out one example from verse, well, verse 31, Jesus is asking his Apostles, do you now believe? 
Behold, the hour is coming and is now at hand that you will be scattered, every man to his own, and you shall leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things have I spoken unto you that you might have peace in the world. You will have tribulation. I am going to be all alone for you. And sometimes in this world, you will be all alone for me. That's tribulation. Shall distress separate us from the love of Christ? In John 13, verse 21, there's a very interesting phrase used about Jesus. And this is when he's coming up to the cross again. All of, most of these are in the hour has come. That period of time in which Jesus had separated himself from his public ministry and given his apostles the last words before the cross. So in John chapter 13, verse 21, when Jesus had said thus, well, he's saying that, Someone has lifted up his heel against him. Judas had lifted up his heel against him. And in verse 21, when Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in his spirit and said, one of you will betray me. He was troubled in spirit. He was distressed. Do you sometimes get troubled in your spirit? It's nothing new. Your Lord went through that as well. And it could never separate him from the love of God. Persecution. Oh, we can just say his whole life was pretty much persecution but in John 15 verse 20 he said to his apostles remember the word that I said to you the servants not greater than his Lord if they've persecuted me they're gonna persecute you if they've kept my saying they will keep yours also did they persecute Jesus every day that he lived just about he was persecuted and it did not separate him from the love of God he was never alone because God was always with him and he came to do the will of him that sent him he said shall famine well in Matthew 25 Jesus did say I was hungry and you gave me meat I believe that um, I, I'm just going to talk a little bit about famine because we can't we can't really say that there was any kind of nationwide or area-wide or worldwide lack of food, lack of crops during the time of Jesus. But Jesus was certainly hungry at times. I want to say first of all that uh, Jerusalem, of course, the Zion during the time of, of Jewry, during the time when Jesus was living, w underwent a great famine. In Matthew 24, it was prophesied and in AD 70, it occurred that the Jews in Jerusalem were perishing because food, there were no supplies being let in and they were starving to death in AD 70. And it is interesting that it says there that that was one of the comings of the Lord. Now we've talked about lots of times that the coming of the Lord was sometimes his, the coming of his judgment. So his judgment, the Lord did come in that sense, and we read about that in Matthew 24, at the destruction of Jerusalem, and there was great famine at that time. So I would say that the Lord did, in some sense, experience famine. But I want to also say that um, he was hungry lots of times. Matthew 4, 2, having fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterwards, he was hungry. In the morning, Matthew 21, 18, as he returned into the city, he was hungry. 
Matthew 25, 35, I was hungry and you gave me to eat. Matthew 25, 42, I was hungry and you gave me not to eat. Mark 2, verse 25, his disciples were hungry and they were eating um, the corn and the wheat rather. And he said, have you not read what David did when he had need and he hungered and those with him? And in Mark eleven twelve, on the morrow, they having come forth from Bethany, he hungered. Luke 4, verse 2, being 40 days tempted of the devil. This is another instance mentioning the hunger that he had in the wilderness. And in Luke 6, 3, uh, again, mentioning David eating and those who were hungering as his disciples were hungry in those verses. Um, I, I'm going to say that we can't draw a hard and fast line and say that Jesus experienced famine. But I will say that the Greek meaning of that word famine shall famine is not just dearth but it includes hunger dearth or hunger and jesus had instances in his human life when he hungered we may have those instances but it did not separate him from the love of god and then nakedness i think about the body of my lord and i realize that jesus didn't have great wealth but there was at the time of the cross there was the parting of his garments in matthew 27 35 they actually took the clothes off his back and parted them uh, with uh, among those who were persecuting him peril what about peril in john 7 verse 1 well peril is uh, there the greek word is danger did jesus experience danger I refer to many times when Jesus experienced physical danger. In John 7, verse 1, we read, After these things Jesus walked in Galilee, for he couldn't walk in Jewry because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Was Jesus in peril during his life? He was in physical peril, but it did not separate him from the love of God. And then we read, um, Shall sword separate us? Neither shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword well they came after jesus with swords in the garden in john 18 verse 3 but he was very much under the watchful eye he could have been calling 12 legions of angels at that time and that's when peter got out the sword and and jesus knew that he could be calling 12 legions of angels at that time and they would rescue him neither death of course, the whole purpose for Jesus' coming was that he might die and redeem us from our sins. But that death did not separate him from the love of God. Now, there was one sense in which Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he was never outside the scope of the love or the awareness of God because that was the eternal plan that Jesus should die because God could, not, could have nothing to do with sin. And Jesus bore those sins at Calvary. Hebrews 5 verse 8, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Not only was he not being separated from God, but he was united with him in the fact that he was being totally submissive to his plan through his death on the cross. Life. Jesus took on human life when he came to this earth. John 1 1. The Word 
was in the beginning with God, but around verse 13 and 14 in the Word, became flesh. Did that separate him from the love of God? No, it fulfilled the love of God through him toward us. Angels. Will angels separate in Matthew 26, verses 52 through 55? That is where he references the messengers, the angels of God. Matthew 26. Then said Jesus to them, Put up again, again your sword into his place. This is that passage again where Peter's cutting off the ear of Malchus. And Jesus said, Do you not know that I could pray to my Father, and he would presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? How then shall the Scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? The angels, though, did not come to rescue Jesus because they understood the mission of Jesus. And had they rescued Jesus from the cross, it would have thwarted the mission of Jesus. It would have thwarted his submission to the Father. And so those angels did not get in the way of the love of God for him, for us. And then we read principalities. Principalities here and powers are separated in the fact that principalities really meant the magistrates, the human rulers of the day. Could they get in the way? Well, they certainly were there at the cross trying to get in the way of the plan of God. But could they get in the way of the love that God had, that Christ had for us? Could those magistrates get in the way? Well, John 18, verses 13 and 14. Let me turn there real quick. Of course, this is right around our the hour has come study. John 18, verses 13 and 14. They led him away to Annas first, for he was father-in-law to Caiaphas. And Caiaphas was he which gave counsel to the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. And we know he's going to go to Herod, and we know he's going to go to Pilate and various magistrates of this world. And they were going to try to, in, in some cases, thwart the plan of God here. Could they do that? No, they could not get in the way of the love of God toward us. And then powers, really their powers means the extreme, I'm going to say the supernatural acts that were occurring during the life of Jesus. Could the power of the devil get in the way of the love of God? He came and tempted Christ sorely in Matthew chapter 4. He tempted Christ at other times through his life. He was tempting Christ, I would say, when the mockers were standing below the cross saying, let him save you now. He was tempting Jesus in all these points. But he could not interfere with the purpose that God had because God had love for us. These things can't separate us from the love of God. Things present, that is things close at hand. Could things present, John 8 verse 29, let's look there real quickly. In John 8, verse 29, the, the Bible reads, And he that sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I am always going to do those things that please him. In his present life, he, he just outright stated on many occasions that the Father is with me, and I am doing those things that please him. Nothing's going to separate me from the love of God. Things to come. Well, of course, he was praying in John 17, not for those alone, not just for the apostles, but he said, I'm praying also for those who will believe on me. He was praying for us.
many things would transpire in the history of the church. But would any of those persecutions, the Roman persecution, the persecution of the middle, would any of those things separate us from the love of God? No, things present in the lifetime of Jesus, things to come, could not separate us from his love. Neither height, height, I love to think about height. Jesus, when he was lifted up on the cross, did not come in between God and his love for us. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. His ascension didn't separate, it separated his apostles bodily from him, uh, but it didn't separate them from the love of Christ. Height nor depth, Acts 2 verse 27, neither would thou leave my soul in Sheol or suffer your Holy One to see corruption. Jesus went into the depths of the earth, not separating himself from God, but uniting himself with God in the purpose of saving us. That depth could not separate us from the love of God, neither height, nor depth, nor any other creature. When I looked up that Greek word, it really is creature or creation or building or ordinance. Anything that is created or erected, nothing that's coming, nothing that can even be built future, nothing is going to separate us from the love of Christ. And because Christ and God cannot be separated in their love for one another, we have direct access to the love of the Heavenly Father. I just think that passage is deep and I'm not even scratching the surface of it. But that's what I wanted in number eight. I wanted us to realize that all of these things that Jesus says can't separate us or the Holy Spirit says in Romans 8, can't separate us. He knew what he was talking about because God the Son had endured all of those things, not separating himself from the love of the Father, but fulfilling the love of the Father toward us. So the passage ends by saying, I love the way that it ends for us. You know, earlier in the chapter, if Christ is in you, verse 10, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead is in you, he that raised up Jesus from the dead shall quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit. He dwells in you. I just love the fact here that this chapter is saying, if you're in Christ, then God is on your side. God the Father is on your side. You have the the Spirit, the Son, and the Father on your side if you have the love of Christ. And then he says, and nothing can separate you from it. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? For your sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Jesus said, Jesus was the sheep for the slaughter. And he said, I'm doing that so that you will never be separated from the love of God. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors. How? Through the one who loved us, Jesus Christ. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature can ever separate us from the love of God, 
because you see that love is in Christ Jesus, our Lord, and we are in him. Hope you have a great day.